Hello and welcome to Empire Sports Talk. I am your host, Roman Gennaro, on this rainy, stormy 4th of July weekend. If you hear anything weird on the podcast, we are recording this during a thunderstorm here in Florida. It's July, what else do you expect? But we have a lot to cover, so let's jump right in. Benedict Matherin calls out LeBron. And if that name sounds familiar, Matherin has only been in the NBA for a handful of days as he just signed with the Indiana Pacers, who selected him with the sixth overall pick in the 2022 NBA draft. So this is quite a bold. This was quite a bold thing when uh, Benedict Matherin said, "I don't think anyone is better than me. He's got to show me he's better than me." And he's talking about LeBron James. Listen, I know I give LeBron a lot of flack on this podcast, but he is the best in the game. He's one of the best the game has ever seen. And here comes Benedict Matherin with a grand total of zero. NBA regular season games under his belt saying, LeBron James has got to prove he's better than me. I like this, but on one condition. Benedict Matherin is my, fav- is, is my favorite player selected in the most recent NBA draft. I think he's got a great career ahead of him, and I think Indiana is a great place for him to do that because they've been hungry for a superstar since Paul George left, and I think Benedict Matherin is... A great, a great person to, to give them some excitement. And, and I like the confidence. As I've stated before on this podcast, there is a difference between confidence and arrogance. And I think when it crosses over to arrogance is not being able to deliver. The reason why I don't think it's arrogant for Steph Curry to, to turn and run the other way before a three hits its mark is because he only does that when he knows it's going to hit its mark and he's right every time. If Benedict Matherin is able to come out here and very quickly show that he is, you know, the front runner for rookie of the year, an exciting player, the player we saw at Arizona this last year, if he's able to show the NBA that he is a future superstar, then then, then I'm okay with him saying this. If he if he comes out and he struggles, and he can't break the starting lineup, and he's only averaging eight points a game, and his shooting totals are extremely low, and Indiana's not winning because of things that he's doing. If if it doesn't go well, then he better back off the LeBron's got to prove it to me stuff, because if if things don't go well and he stands by LeBron's got to prove it to me, then that's then that's where we cross over into arrogance. He 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 did later clarify those those statements by saying that he does think LeBron is the best in the game, but he doesn't but he's still not going to say that anyone's better than him. So he's not necessarily coming at LeBron or 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 saying LeBron's not as good as everybody thinks because he does think LeBron is the best that there is and but his confidence tells him nobody's better than me. And there and there and there and there's a certain level of that you have to have to be be professional in any sport. You have to have this confidence of nobody's better than me. No one's going to beat me. And that's what we're seeing from Benedict Matherin. So time will tell if, if this is a confident statement and he's able to back it up or if it's an arrogant statement that he needs to back off of once things don't go well for him in Indiana. Chet Holmgren, the second pick of that same NBA draft, four, four picks before Matherin, allegedly tanked his workout with the Orlando Magic. Who had the first pick? They ended up picking Paolo Bencaro, and Chet Holmgren went with the second pick to Oklahoma City. 
what's concerning about this story is Chet Holmgren hasn't proved anything yet. Much like Matherin, he hasn't played any games in the league. He hasn't proven anything at the highest level of competition. I believe Chet Holmgren's also going to have a good career. I think he needs to bulk up a little bit. I think he's a little too thin. Um, but I think he's going to have a good career. But for him to allegedly tank the Magic tryout, I don't, I don't because because you haven't proven anything. You're trying to prove yourself to these teams. Yes, you were one of the best players on one of the best teams in college, but the college game is not the pro game. Just like the high school game is not the college game. You have to prove yourself at each level. So, And I, and I know we've seen in the past players in different leagues refusing to play for certain teams, like Eli Manning not wanting to play for the Chargers, so he asked to, to be traded before the draft even took place. But what if... Well, what if Holmgren tanks his magic workout and then he goes to the other workouts and he just has an off day? Then you've purposely tanked a workout that could have been your only shot. Now, that wasn't the case here. But I don't like... Because it looks... If, if this story is true, it looks like Holmgren thinks he's better than the magic. Thinks that, oh, nobody wants to go to the magic. They are, they are not very good, blah, 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 blah. It looks like he thinks he's better than an NBA franchise. It looks like he thinks he's above an entire NBA franchise that's had success. The Magic have had more down years than up years in, in their franchise history, but they did make the final they have made the finals. They have made deep playoff runs. They did have they have had great teams and great players like Dwight Howard in his prime and Shaq and Penny and Tracy McGrady. So they're not they're they're not a dumpster of an organization. They've had some down years, but to but to allegedly tank your workout because you don't want to go to Orlando, that just that just seems that seems arrogant to me. And look, maybe he doesn't want to play in Orlando because he thinks they have a they have a lower ceiling for for the foreseeable future. Maybe he thinks they have a long way to go. But look, the the other two teams in the top three were Oklahoma City and Houston. Are they really in a much better situation because they were picking? two and three that being said Holmgren didn't know that the Thunder and the Rockets would have probably the two best drafts and be in a much better situation than they were coming in he didn't know that when he tanked his workout with, with the number one team and before that draft Houston Oklahoma City and, and Orlando were pretty much all in the same situation not a good one I don't think Chet has earned tanking a workout with a team that wants to draft him and, pl- and pay him millions of dollars to play NBA basketball. Go in there and do the best you can, because like I said, what if, what if you tank one tryout and then your other tryouts, you have bad days. You, you're just off. That happens. So if this turns out to be true and Chet purposely did bad in his workout with the Magic, it's not a good look to me. It's not a good look for him to to be forcing his way onto... A different team when all the other teams that picked in the top three were also not good. But again, time will tell there. Speaking of the Magic, a, a more positive and, and possibly interesting story if it ends up happening. Shaquille O'Neal has has said that he wants to buy the Magic. If the Magic ownership group is interested in selling, Shaq is interested in buying. Personally, I think this would be a great move for both Shaq 
and the magic. As I stated before while talking about Chet Holmgren, the magic have had more down years than up years in their franchise history. And, and most of those, or in a lot of those down years, have come recently. They had a couple of playoff appearances with Aaron Gordon and, and uh, Vucevic, but those two guys are gone. The Magic are in full rebuild mode. They've been uh, top five pickers both of the last two years. They have some exciting players, Jalen Suggs, Paolo Bencaro. I am very high on Markel Fultz if he can continue to stay healthy. He's shown major signs of the number one pick that went to Philadelphia. And a lot of exciting players, the, the Wagner brothers. But they still have no clear direction. There's not much excitement because they're still losing a lot of games. An ownership shakeup. And, and one with the clout and history with the organization that Shaq has could be very, very, very interesting. I think it could give a jolt of energy to that organization. I think Shaq would do everything he could to make them a winning team. He knows how to win. He's a winner. Not only does he have multiple championships in his long career, but he's arguably one of the best centers to ever play the game. And on top of that, he's proven to be a pretty good businessman as he owns, he's invested in and owns several fast food restaurants, several businesses. He's an investor in several companies. So, so Shaq knows, I think I read somewhere that he's made more as an investor than he did as a player. So Shaq knows good business. Shaq knows how to succeed in business. And I think this would be a great move for the Orlando Magic. Should should the Magic ownership decide to sell? And there's no indication that they want to, but Shaq was just putting it out there that he is interested in acquiring the team if they go up for sale. So I think, I think that's an interesting what-if situation to see if the Magic ownership is interested in selling, Shaq is there ready to pull the trigger. And I think... Hypothetically, that would be a great move for the organization. Now, let's talk about a move that's not so good for, for an organization. When Russell Westbrook came to the Lakers before last season, he signed a contract that apparently had a player option for him going into this year. And last season was a disaster. Let's call it what it is. There's nothing else you could say about it. It was a disaster. And he had a player option. And I think it's safe to say that after last season, there's not a big, there wasn't a big market for Russell Westbrook going into going into this offseason. So of course, he signs his player option, and he will return to the Lakers in 2022. The problem is that Russell's player option was for 47 million dollars for one year. Now. The Lakers are one of the most successful franchises in NBA history. They have one of the highest payrolls in NBA history. But they do have Anthony Davis, LeBron James, Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, all these big name, big money guys on their roster. I think it's safe to say that if Russell Westbrook, if, if, if it had been a team option and not a player option, Russell Westbrook would be a free agent right now. Because last season was a disaster, and at the center of it, was Russell Westbrook's horrific season for the Lakers. It is beyond safe to say that they would not have exercised the team option if it had been a team option, but it's a player option. He's, he's getting $47 million this year, which he hasn't been worth in four years, if ever, in his career. And now the problem is 
is that not only was last year terrible for the Lakers, but this $47 million player option really handcuffs them again going into this season. And LeBron is not getting younger. None of those guys are getting younger. LeBron wants to win another championship. And one of their problems last year was they had this aging core of former superstars who wasn't getting it done, and they didn't have the cap space. They didn't have the room to to build a proper bench, build a proper core around the main guys. In 2020, when they won the championship, it was LeBron and AD and a solid staple of role players. 2021, the Lakers didn't have that. And it was partly because they signed Carmelo to big money and Russell to big money and all of these players that did not gel together. It, it was a chemistry disaster. And now Russell Westbrook's $47 million has once again handcuffed them, unable to get the players that they're going to need to make a playoff run. So I think we're going to see another terrible year for the Lakers. Because, and, and here's my thing on that is in a situation like this, and I don't know why, but here we are. I don't know why the Lakers would give Russell Westbrook a player option anyway. Player options are a risky move. Because if you have a situation where Russell did not play well, Russell actually played terribly and was on not top 10 on SportsCenter more than he was on top 10, the Lakers gave him the option to come back. His choice. A team option, they can decide. A player option, it's Russell's choice. And Russell made the choice. And now, the Lakers, who probably would not have exercised the team option, have to pay him $47 million and hope that last year was a fluke. I don't think it was. We saw him not... It didn't work in Houston. It didn't really work in Washington. And now he is at the Lakers. I think Russell's best days are behind him. But here we are with... Russell being paid $47 million as a player option, and now the Lakers don't have a choice. They did sign Lonnie Walker from the Spurs, which is a good, which is a good signing for what they could do. They were they were hoping to get Kyrie on a sign and trade, on a sign and trade that didn't work out. Maybe it still could because there are a lot of people that aren't convinced that Kyrie coming back to the Nets is actually going to happen. So it could still happen, but they were they were pretty pretty hopeful that Ky they would get Kyrie on a sign-in trade to pair back with LeBron. That doesn't look like it's happening. Russell, Russell opts in, and here we are. Going back to last week where I talked about the difference between selfish and selfless superstars, you saw James Harden opt out with the Sixers in favor of signing a, a new free agent contract for less money, allowing them to build a championship team. Russell Westbrook, on the other hand, said, give me my money. And he takes $47 million with a team that probably would not have exercised a team option. So do with that what you will. Kevin Durant made waves this week when he requested a trade from the Nets. I think it's safe to say we all saw this coming. The Kyrie situation has been a mess and when when they decided to come to Brooklyn together, KD was essentially sealing his fate with Kyrie. Somebody who has been flaky at best in the past. And now here we are, that KD was frustrated with, with the Nets' playoff exit last season. 
as he should be. It was a 4-0 sweep against the Celtics. KD was frustrated. And, you know, we, we waited to see if Kyrie was going to come back because we assumed that would mean that KD would be happy. We assumed that Kyrie coming back would be all is well in the neighborhood. Kyrie says, see you next fall. KD says, I don't think so. But there doesn't seem to be any animosity between the, um, KD and the Nets in this situation because when the news broke, it came out as the Nets GM is working with Kevin Durant and his representation to find a trade partner. So it sounds like the Nets are okay with letting KD go because they realize that this whole situation was a mistake. And when when Kyrie said, I'm coming back, uh, see you in the fall, and then proceeded to be like, Kevin Durant and myself will work with, with, the, with the front office to, to make this championship team. I think that turned the Nets off to Kyrie, which is why I still think there's a possibility that, that he moves um, in a deal, possibly in the deal that, that, Kev, that they make for Kevin Durant, not to the same team, but to another team. Because a, as an owner or as a GM, you don't want to hear a player that's been giving you problems finally make up his mind and say, oh yeah, I'm going to help the GM. I'm going to help the ownership build a winning team. It's like, well, no, we've been in limbo waiting for you because you can't make up your mind. So, so and, and then KD, after Kyrie decides I'm coming back, requests a trade. So I think I think Kevin Durant has had enough of the drama with Kyrie because he had to deal with the drama with Russell Westbrook. This, this is Russell Westbrook 2.0. But it's worse, in my opinion, because I don't think Russell Westbrook was trying to make drama. I don't think Russell Westbrook was trying to do things that would raise eyebrows. I think Russell was just playing, and it wasn't... Russell was playing the way Russell plays, and it wasn't meshing well, and it wasn't. They weren't winning as many games as they would like to, and it was causing some issues. Kyrie is decisions that he's making are causing waves in in the organization, and I think KD is seeing some of the similarities in in the Russell Westbrook drama, and he doesn't want that again. So I think he will end up being traded. I think the Nets are more than willing to help him because I think they are ready. I think the Nets are ready to just rebuild, to tear the whole thing down and rebuild, uh, which is why I think we'll see Kyrie um, traded as well. But hopefully a KD trade can result in a fresh start for both Kevin Durant and the Nets organization because hopefully they can also clear Kyrie Irving. And I don't know. I I don't know what'll happen if he leaves the Nets because I don't know who at this point wants to commit to him. Uh, the Lakers, as I've said before, the Lakers were interested, but that's because the Lakers are in a tough spot. And now with owing Russell Westbrook $47 million, I don't even know if they can take him at this point. So so it, it'll, be an, it'll be interesting to see how the KD-Kyrie trade contract scenario works itself out. The biggest question mark of the week for me was when news came down that Zion Williamson was signing the max extension to stay with the New Orleans Pelicans, five years, $193 million extension. Just a few months ago, we were talking about Zion Williamson's family saying that he was unhappy in New Orleans, Zion Williamson saying he wanted to be, that that, that Zion possibly wanted a trade from New Orleans, that, that a trade demand was coming. And now here we are, he signs a max extension 
to stay where he is, I think, because he saw that with the combination of McCollum and Ingram, like, oh, they can, they're a decent team. Too bad I wasn't there. Um, and I think he realizes that the NBA started to notice that, hey, they made the playoffs. They were an exciting team without Zion Williamson. But what's baffling to me is why the why New Orleans would would why why this contract was on the table in the first place, because listen, Zion is a super exciting player. If he's on the court, he could be the face of this league once LeBron and Steph bow out and hang it up. Zion could be one of the faces of this league. The problem is, the Pelicans are handing five years, one hundred ninety three million dollars over to a player who in his first three seasons only played 85 of a possible 224 games. He has had, he's been riddled with injury problems in his first three years in the NBA. Didn't play at all this last year. Only played 24 of the 60 game season in, uh, in 2020 and played 61 of 82 in 2021 which is better but he has not proven that he will be he can be there that he can be on the floor we've also seen weight issues with Zion we've seen those weight issues we've seen the the inability to stay healthy which we kind of saw coming at Duke because we talked about how big he was how much torque he used how how that probably wouldn't do any favors for his joints because when he was at Duke, let's remember that he he ripped through the side of a shoe with how much torque he was using on dunks and shots and the moves he was making. So, And then to have all that weight on those joints and all that, that torque on those joints, this was bound to happen. We kind of knew this was going to happen. But 85 games out of a possible 224 is not worth a max extension. And... If he was so unhappy in New Orleans, why would he sign it? And with the amount of question marks surrounding his future, why would the Pelicans offer it? Granted, when he has been healthy, he has averaged 25.7 points in those in those 85 career games. But he's played 85, and he's missed 139. So, I think they should have waited... Currently, he's not healthy. I don't think he's 100% healthy. So they they probably should have waited until they could see him play some games and they could see him on the floor. It was a big question mark to see Zion sign a five-year, $193 million extension, both for his camp because he had said that he wanted that there was rumblings that he wanted to trade and for the Pelicans to offer it because of with the weight issues and the injury issues. So I was kind of left scratching my head with, with, with that contract news pivoting to baseball after all of the drama with freddie freeman in the offseason not not signing with the braves then signing with the dodgers then this last week we had the emotional return to atlanta for freddie freeman where he basically cried his eyes out for three days it was so emotional the day after this the sunday night finale between the braves and the dodgers in atlanta freddie freeman fired his agent, because he was unhappy with how the the negotiations played out. You could see it on his face. You could hear it in his voice. 
you could you could tell by the tears that he was not happy and there was a very telling image taken from that series where all of the Dodgers were up on the rail in the dugout except Freddie Freeman who was sitting by himself on the bench behind everyone else looking not too happy um, if you haven't seen that photo, head on over to the Empire Sports Talk Instagram or Twitter, and you'll see it. It's very telling. Um, and when Freddie Freeman first signed that contract with the Dodgers, he said, I, I, I have no regrets about the negotiations. I have no regrets about being a Dodger. I didn't buy that. A lot of people didn't buy that. And, and the emotions during the Atlanta series and the subsequent firing of Freddie Freeman's agent. He is currently self-represented, Freddie Freeman is. That tells the real story, that he he just said he had no regrets because he had new teammates and he didn't want to upset them. But that didn't stop Clayton Kershaw from saying, we see how emotional this is for Freddie, but we don't want to feel like we're second fiddle. We don't want to feel like we were his backup, his, his, his backup choice, his safety school. Well... You were, and that is so clear um, that all he wanted to do was be a brave. He felt his agency screwed that up, and now that agency is out one less client. There was a bit of controversy later in the week when when Doug Gottlieb, who is traditionally a basketball analyst, said that he had info that told him that Freddie Freeman's agent never even showed him the latest offer from the Braves because he felt that that Freddie Freeman would sign it and it would be for less than what the Dodgers were offering. His agent denied this totally. I believe his agent's name was Casey Close as as a complete lie, and he they are um, exploring legal options against Gottlieb for saying this, but he's also an agent who's just been fired. So we don't know that if if there was if there was an offer out there that wasn't communicated to Freddie Freeman. But what was interesting is it is it is if that's true, if Casey Close didn't give Freddie the latest offer because for fear that he would sign it and stay with Atlanta because it was worth less money at face value than the Dodgers deal would have been. Freddie Freeman's actually making less money this year than he would have with the Braves if he had signed the offer that we knew about. Because with with the tax situation in L.A. and the guaranteed money and, and all said and done, he would be making more money with the Braves this year if he had signed that contract. So the Freddie Freeman drama continues. I think it'll be interesting to see if he plays out the contract in L.A. or if he tries to find a way back to the Braves. I don't see how possible that is considering how much money they tied up with Matt Olson. But with the National League now having a D.H., uh, I think that's a possibility. Freddie's played third in the past. They could they, they they could bring him back, send him to third. Austin Riley's played in the outfield. He could go back to the outfield. I'm just spitballing here because it sounds like Freddie Freeman really, really wants to be back in Atlanta. I don't think it's possible with the money that's tied up, but we'll see. The, so the Freddie Freeman drama continues. But during all this, he's having a really good season for the Dodgers. He, he, he was named... Uh, NL Player of the Week during that week during that weekend in Atlanta, uh, he he hit like 400. That f- he hit 406. So he didn't let it bother his play, which is which tells you how good of a player he is. But I I don't think this Freddie Freeman story is over. So we'll keep an eye on that. Last thing I wanted to touch on 
I think the the MLB All Star voting is in its final rounds this week as the as the All Star game is on July 18th, so it's later this month in Los Angeles, and so they're they're finalizing the All Star voting and. One look at this all-star voting, and I don't think it's just an MLB problem. I think it's it's something that all sports need to address. I think the all-star game voting needs to be revamped and overhauled because, and let me preface this by saying that I think fan involvement in sports is great, but not when it comes to all-star game voting. I don't think fans should be involved in that because then what you end up seeing is year after year fans voting for their favorite players, voting for their favorite team's players, even if they're not having a good year. So you end up with a bunch of a bunch of guys that were voted in because they're likable to an all-star game that it's supposed to be for the best players of that season, not because they had a good year. Case in point. One of the most exciting players in the MLB is Fernando Tatis Jr. And earlier this week, it was reported that Tatis Jr. was fifth in in the National League shortstop voting for the All-Star game. And you'd think, well, fifth, that's, that's decent for as popular a player as he is. I don't see what's wrong with that. The problem is, Fernando Tatis Jr. has not played one game this season. He had wrist surgery. He hasn't played at all this year, and he was fifth. In, in, in the all-star game voting for National League shortstops. Now, he's not going to make it. It has since been narrowed down to the finalists, and he was not. He was thankfully not in it. The the NL shortstop finalists are Trey Turner and Dansby Swanson, both deserving players of, of the all-star game. But if this does not show you the problem with all-star game voting, not just in baseball, but in, in sports, it should not be fan-based because... All-star appearances are one of the many criteria that are taken into serious consideration for Hall of Fame balloting and who should who should make it to the Hall of Fame. All-star game appearances, all-star appearances are a major part of that. And the Hall of Fame is not voted on by fans. The Hall of Fame is voted on by a committee of writers and other decision makers in Major League Baseball. So if the Hall of Fame is decided by a group of people who are qualified to decide these sort of things, why is an aspect of what goes into that consideration controlled by a popularity contest in fan voting? I have no I think fan involvement is great in ways that don't affect people's careers. Fernando Tatis Jr. is a great player. He's going to go on to have many, many, many all-star game appearances when he's healthy. But he hasn't played a game. Can you explain to me how he's one of the best players in 2022? Because that's what we're voting for. Not for the best players in baseball, period. The best players in baseball for the year the game is taking place. So why is he among the vote-getters for the best in the game this year when he hasn't played this year, another name that popped up is that Ronald Acuna has already been been voted an All-Star starter, and he's only played 46 of of the Braves' 79 games to this point. He's playing well. 
he's having a good year for the 46 games that he has played, but he's been he's he was hurt to start the year. He came back and then he's been been in and out of the lineup all year. So he hasn't even played 46 games straight. So he's inconsistent. So with Tatis and Acuña being on the list, it's showing that we're just voting for players we like. We're not looking at the stats and being like that's the best player this year. That's the best pitcher this year. That's who should, you know, make the All-Star game. Because these are these are two superstar players. But we're not voting because oh they had a great they've had a great career so far and they're going to continue to have a great career so they should be an all-star in 2022. No, 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 no. That's not that's not how this works. And the NBA is kind of the same way. Whereas yeah, the 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 two player captains get to draft their their teams which is by the way is ridiculous to me. It should still be conference based, but whatever. They get to draft from a list of players who've been selected, but those players are selected by fans. And the Pro Bowl, I believe, is still selected by fans. As long as that's the case, it's going to continue to be a popularity contest, not a merit-based, who performed the best contest, as it should be. The all-star game voting in all sports that that are currently fan-based needs to be overhauled because fans are just going to continue to pick their favorite players. Fans are going to continue to pick the, the guys they like the best, regardless of what their stats say. Austin Riley is top five in the National League in home runs, and he, was, he, he, he wasn't even a finalist at third base. So we're not, and, and he was also, he, he probably should have been the MVP last year, not even considered. So, so I think we need to take some of the power away from fans, because it's just going to continue to be a popularity contest and the all-star game factors into who makes it into the hall of fame and the hall of fame is not voted on by fans the hall of fame is voted on by a committee of qualified personnel so if the all-star game factors into that factors into who gets in and who doesn't why is there not a qualified committee of personnel voting for all-star games that's my two cents that's all i have on this jam-packed episode of Empire Sports Talk. Uh, check us out wherever you get your podcast, uh, on our socials, interact with us. We've been getting some good feedback from some of our clips. Uh, hope you all have a great 4th of July weekend. And for, for some of you, I hope it's a lot sunnier than it is here in Florida right now. But I hope you have a great 4th of July weekend. See you next time. This has been Empire Sports Talk signing off.